I mean, all right, guys, we're going to be in Hosea chapter five. The title today is The Lion and the Lair. The Lion and the Lair. We'll talk about seeking the Lord. That's the positive is seeking the Lord. Uh, this is one of those difficult uh, messages where we see God, uh, if you will, hiding. You're going to see God uh, leaving his people. And I hope that it will be a reminder for all of us that we would never stop chasing the Lord. Let's look together, ask the Lord to speak to our hearts, even as we work through the passage. Hosea chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 14 and verse 15. Hosea chapter 5, beginning verse 14, Hosea writes, For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away, and none shall rescue him. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Again, strong words here in the book of Hosea. I want to start with a little bit of a story here from an AP article, ABC News. And I thought this reminds us about the idea of seeking. A little boy, only identified as Mason, was focused on a new toy in a claw bending machine at a local Beef O'Brady's restaurant. But it was out of reach behind the glass of the vending machine. So when he saw an opening, he went for it. Unlike most children, little Mason's hastily devised plan was eventually successful. In this case, the opening was literal. Undeterred by the glass panels of the claw vending machine, where his parents were enjoying dinner, Mason climbed inside and quickly got stuck. <laughs> it just so happened that off-duty firefighter Jeremy House and several colleagues from the Titusville Fire and Emergency Services were also enjoying dinner at the restaurant. While telling patrons nearby to call 911, House and company sprung into action, and within about five minutes, they rescued the boy unharmed, and the claw machine suffered only minimal damage. <laughs> Can our desire to seek the Lord be like this little boy seeking a toy? Right? Think about that. He saw it and he wanted it and nothing was going to get in the way of his pursuit of what he wanted. I want to challenge you this morning. We're going to, that's the positive of this very negative message is that I want you to seek the Lord like that, that you would see him you would chase after him and you would let nothing get in the way of your coming into the very presence of the Lord. Another way to ask it this morning is how is your love for the Lord being displayed? If I were to go to Ray and Ida's apartments and talk to interview their neighbors, if I was going to go to David and Jacob's classroom teacher, or if I were to go to where Ray and Diane are uh, catering, or if I were to go to see some patients that were getting uh, their uh, legs or their back worked on from Sinful and Esther, and we did some interviews, what would they say about your love of the Lord? Would it be evident? This little boy's love and passion was very evident, wasn't it, right? And that's my challenge you today is to think about, is my love and passion for the Lord like that? Well, let's jump into verse one. We're going to see if we begin with there's more corruption in the leadership, and Hosea is going to start there with the people. Verse 1, Hosea writes, he says, Hear this, 
you priests, pay attention, you Israelites, listen, royal house. This is judgment against you. You have been a snare, Mizpah, a net spread out on Tabor. The rebels are knee-deep in slaughter. I will discipline all of them. I know all about Ephraim. Israel is not hidden from me. Ephraim, you have now turned to prostitution. Israel is corrupt. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. Let me read that again, verse 4. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. The Israelites, even Ephraim, stumble in their sin. Judah also stumbles with them. If you're looking at Hosea, you can see his first accusation here is what kind of leaders? The religious leaders, right? And we're going to see this again in just a moment, but they were enriching themselves off of the wickedness of the people. The priests didn't care as long as they were having prosperity. They weren't worried about the hearts of the people because they were getting the benefit. He does not only condemn the priests here, though, but look who he condemns at the middle there, verse 1. Listen, royal house. Their political or their government, or in this case, their royal leaders were also failing the people. Does God care about politics? Yes, he does. Right? And here we see again Hosea crying out against these leaders. And notice how he describes it. Again, in verse 1, he says, you've been a snare, a mizpah. You've been spread out on Tabor. I did a little bit of looking at this. Mizpah and Tabor, do you know what they were kind of known for? They were really good hunting grounds. Hmm, right? And so that's why you can see you've got the net spread out. You've got the trap laid. Because those were places where people put out nets and they put out traps to catch wildlife and hear what Hosea is saying to the political leaders, you're trying to trap the people just like you would trap the animals. You're trying to ensnare them and capture them so that you can profit off of their wickedness. You are corrupt. Again, verse two, the rebels, the rebels against God, they are knee deep in slaughter. Again, and some may be physical, some in a spiritual way, cutting out uh, people, again, so they can enrich themselves. But look what God says at the end of verse 2. What's he say? I will discipline them. I want to try to say this carefully this morning because I believe in God's forgiveness and second chances. And you'll hear this again later in the message. But God has his limits. Can you hear the Lord today? God has his limits. And right here we see that he says, I will discipline them. Again, he confesses their problems in verse three. I know about when he says Ephraim, Ephraim, the largest tribe there in the northern tribes, just a symbol for Israel. So he's using Ephraim and Israel, Israel, excuse me, interchangeably. He says, Ephraim, I know all about them. Israel is not hidden from me. They have turned to prostitution, which is the whole point of the book again, right? Who did Hosea marry? Gomer. She was actively selling her body when Hosea chose her for his wife. And again, what I want you to see in verse 4 is the same command. Again, we're echoing over and over some of the same themes. We're going to get to some new things here in just a minute. But what was the problem with the Israelites? 
Not only did they have a spirit of prostitution in their heart, but look at the end of verse 4. What does it say? They do not what? They do not acknowledge the Lord. Right? I think you probably thought when the preacher started out, is that really going to be like that theme? It is overwhelmingly the theme in this book, isn't it? Right? And that's why I keep coming back at you and at, at me. How are we acknowledging the Lord in all of our decision-making in our life? These people have forgotten God and their judgment is sure and their discipline is coming. They are arrogant and they assume that their slick negotiations will save them. How many of you are good at negotiating? Anybody here like to get a deal? I know some of you, we talked on Wednesday night, some of you, that's your identity is getting a deal, right? Okay. Getting a deal is a negotiation. Well, what you're seeing here, and we're going to see it just a little bit more as well, the Israelites are starting to find themselves in a tricky place. They're not the powerful nation they were under Solomon. They did have some prosperity under Jeroboam, but things are starting to kind of fall apart. Again, when you don't follow the Lord, what's going to happen to you as well, right? Things are going to start to fall to the wayside. They need a little help. And so they're going to start to try to figure out, if I make a partner with this nation or with this king or with this country, hopefully when someone else comes our way, we'll have made an alliance and they will be our defender instead of doing what? Instead of trusting the Lord, instead of acknowledging God, instead of God being their king, they have forgotten God. And in their arrogance, they were thinking, well, I've made these deals. It's going to be okay. Do you ever make deals in order to kind of make your life better and you don't acknowledge the Lord? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's a deal you've made, a financial deal. You're like, oh, I'm good here. I've taken care of that. Maybe it's a relationship deal. You've made some alliances. You've made some, some friendships so that just in case somebody at work comes, you're like, that's okay. I've already made friendships. I play golf with the boss. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we try to make these alliances these negotiations instead of acknowledging who the lord is and depending on him we try to protect ourselves and this is not a old i mean this is not a new problem right this has been going on a long time again the message here this morning very simply is acknowledge the lord quit trying to make your own negotiations your own insurance but put your trust in the lord what's very sad here and hosea says this specifically not only is israel stumbling in their sin not only the northern tribes but who else is stumbling even judah even the people that so far as a whole have done a little bit better they have had better kings in judah than they have had up in the northern tribes but even they're starting to stumble and fall and so here's the same point we've been going over and over again if they would humble themselves the Lord would restore them, but they will not. How can I say this today? It is definitely not being about perfect, okay? Here's what I want to challenge you. When you sin, what do you do? Do you have any people that like to hide when they sin? <laughs> when I messed up, especially when I was a kid, I was a pretty obvious something. My parents would know something was wrong because I'm off somewhere hiding because I knew I did something wrong. I knew judgment was coming, but I wanted to hide from the judgment, right? Here's what I want to challenge you. When you sin, repent immediately, right? You guys remember the story of David? 
and Bathsheba. And it takes a long time for David to admit his sin. You can read Psalm 51 if you want to see how his bones were dry and how he was drained, how, how the sin was just eating him alive. But when he finally humbled himself and he acknowledged the Lord, what happened? He got a new spirit created in him. His bones were once again strong and he was refreshed. Why wait a week, two weeks, a month, a year to confess your sin, right? Humble yourself before the Lord. He knows we're not perfect, but he wants us to return to him. That was the problem here with Israel. They were falling down, but they were not getting back up. They were going to go, again, their own arrogant way. And so again, my challenge to you this morning from this first paragraph is, where do you find yourself depending upon something other than God? Where do you find yourself depending on something else than God? Let's look in verse 6. We're going to see this is a very sad place to me, and that is where God is nowhere to be found. I hope you haven't been to this place, but let's look together. Verse 6. Hosea says, When they go with their flocks and their herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They are unfaithful to the Lord. They give birth to illegitimate children. When they celebrate their new moon feasts, he will devour their fields. Sound the trumpet in Gibeah, the horns in Ramah. Raise the battle cry in Beth-Avon and lead on Benjamin. Ephraim will be laid waste on the day of reckoning. And among the tribes of Israel, I proclaim what is certain. Judah's leaders are like those who move the boundary stones. I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. Ephraim is oppressed, trampled in judgment, intent on pursuing idols. If you look in verse 6, the scripture says, Hosea says, they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, but what's going to happen? They're not going to find him. Right? Here again, you can see them blending their worships. Right? They're still worshiping Baal. They're still with shrine prostitutes. Up in Beth-Avon, remember Bethel, but Beth-Avon means it's the house of the wicked rather than the house of God, right? They're still doing all of those things, but you know what they do on, this is penology here, you know what they're doing on their Sabbath days? They're rounding up the sheep. They're going to go make sacrifices. They're going to go look for God. Are they going to find God? You hear the Lord speak today? You don't get to live a life never acknowledging God except when you think you need him and then hope that he'll show up. It's the humble heart when the Lord shows up. There's no humility here. And what really breaks my heart, if you look at the end of verse 6, it says, he has withdrawn himself from them. Lo Ruma, right? Not loved. Lo Ami, not my people. This is, the pe- this is the people that God led out of Egypt. This is the people that God allowed to plunder the Egyptians. This is the people with the plagues and the people that survived the death of the firstborn. This is the people that had manna every day for 40 years God provided for them. This is the people that saw the walls fall down at Jericho. This is these people. And God says, I'm nowhere to be found. Because they forgot him and they did not. Acknowledge him. Nowhere to be found. You hear the Lord today? I love you people. I'm 
I'm pretty naive in most things. I think most of you have great hearts and you're intent on serving the Lord. And I pray that all of that is right. But if you're playing games with God, if you're out worshiping the idols through the week and then showing up here with your sacrifices, I'm going to tell you, God is nowhere to be found. Seek him with a humble heart, right? That's what the scripture lays out. Very simply, God has limits. And I think sometimes we don't say this. We love to proclaim. I love to proclaim God is the God of second chances and how often he forgives. But there are consequences to our sin. And so we preach the whole counsel of God. And you see it here in Hosea. As a matter of fact, he says, while they are away celebrating their new moon feasts, while they are away having uh, prosperity and happy parties with the, the Baals and all the other gods, the Lord says he will come and bring his judgment on the fields. God is going to come and he's going to begin to tear apart his own people. The way that he words it here is the day of reckoning has come for Ephraim, for Israel. And I want to share this with you this morning. The day of reckoning will come for us all. Very simply, I would word it this way. You look on the screen. We will all give an account for what we've done with what we've been given. I think it was Miss Ida this week. She was talking about when God gives you a gift, you better use it. That's good words, isn't it, right? Some of you, and I, I'm, not, I'm being completely honest, some of you God has, has blessed with unbelievable gifts. There's some incredibly smart people in this room. Don't waste those gifts. Some of you are so good with people. You welcome people in, they immediately feel loved by you. God has blessed you with that gift. Don't waste that gift. Some of you have a sound financial mind. You know how to make great business decisions. Don't waste that gift. There is a day coming when God is going to hold you accountable and say, here's what I gave you. What did you do with what I gave you? The day of reckoning here is for Israel is not a good day because they squandered God's blessings and they sought their own heart. Would you humble yourself before the Lord or in your arrogance would you ignore him? Notice what he calls the leaders here, what he says about that they are doing. Verse 10, Judah's leaders are like those who move what? They move the boundary stones. What's that mean, move the boundary stones? Have any of you ever been in a property dispute? How do property disputes go? They can be really ugly, can't they, right? And a lot of times a property dispute is over the fact that somebody decided to do what? They're moving the boundary so that they can have a little bit more property, right? Can I confess that whenever the city came through here and they were making that roundabout, I thought they were moving our boundary stones, and I was a little bit upset about that, right? How do you feel about people that move boundary stones? How do you feel about people who try to, to cheat you? If your neighbor started encroaching on you, that's what Hosea, how he's accusing the leaders of the people, the priests and the royal house. They're moving the boundary stones. They are changing what is true and right so that hopefully they can enrich themselves. And again, I challenge you today to trust the Lord. Even this morning, Paul and I were talking that money is not everything, is it? Sometimes you're trying to save a buck here, you're trying to make efficiencies here, but you better obey the Lord instead of trying to move the boundary stones. And here again, we see the problem when money takes over what the Lord's will is in our life. Well, here the truth is coming to pass. Wrath is coming for the leaders. 
Oppression has already come on Ephraim. Judgment is coming and is also coming even further on. And yet what is happening? Look at verse 11. Ephraim's oppressed, trampled in judgment, but yet they are intent on pursuing idols. And what I put here this morning is when will they learn? And then I also put a little sentence below that. When will we learn? You guys, stop putting your money, putting your trust in your money. Don't put your trust in your money. You know that in your head. I'm telling your heart, give it again to the Lord. Give everything you have to the Lord and let him be the owner of it all. Well, let's finish up this morning and see the last thing we see here. And this is such a powerful picture of God. And again, I'm here to try to express to you different pictures of God every week. And here we have God as two things. He's a moth. And he's a lion. And I want you to see the picture of both of these. Look at verse 12. Hosea, he writes, he says, the God speaking, I am like a moth to Ephraim, like rot to the people of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. Go with me on down to verse 14, just a minute. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. And then I will return to my lair until they are born into their guilt and seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. Now, this shows my age here. Probably a lot of you younger people have never experienced this. But when I was a young person, I would go play in my grandma's closets. Kind of like ledger this morning wearing the wig right you know i would be looking at grandma's shoes and there and in her one of her closets i remember there was a lot of clothes that had something in them like they would rattle and shake and you know what they were they were mothballs yeah what's a mothball jacob you know what a mothball is you probably never heard of such a thing have you right you kept these little balls in your clothes so the moths would not uh, rest and nest in your clothes and would end up destroying your clothes, right? Now, this is interesting to me because you're going to see in just a second, God is a lion. That part we can kind of get, but God is a moth? What's he doing? He's saying he is slowly eating away at the prosperity of his people because of their prostitution, because of their idolatry, because they will not acknowledge him. They are rotting away. What's kind of sad about rotting, a lot of times you don't know it till it's already too late, right? You thought it was fine. You went to go get the garment out and you may even put it on and then you realize, oh man, this thing is falling to pieces. And that's what's happening. You guys hear me out this morning. That can happen to the church. Well, I thought God was here. I mean, we're doing the same thing we always do. If we stop acknowledging the Lord, he will depart from this place. I promise you. Like a moth, he will allow us to rot. That's the first picture, okay? Now, again, the big problem is Israel, even Judah, sees their weakness. And so instead of seeking the Lord for their help, where do they go? I can't believe this is so crazy to me. Where does Israel go for their help? They go to Assyria. I don't know who you would think. Let's just give an example. Who is probably one of the top maybe enemies of the United States today, I'm going to say maybe North Korea. This would be like us going to Kim Jong-un and asking for help. 
That just sounds crazy. Like Paul's even like, like, this is crazy, right? Why would you do that? That's where their situation is. They're so bent on their money. They're so bent on their prosperity that they do one of the strangest things. They go to their dreaded enemy to make an alliance. And guess who is going to destroy Israel? The king of Assyria. Hmm. There might be a lesson for the country in that, right? When you base all your decisions on prosperity rather than acknowledging God, the person that you're making in your alliance with could come and be your destruction. That's exactly what happened here to the northern tribes. They were going to the king of Assyria hoping he could heal them. And God says, he can't heal you. Who can heal? (laughs) That's good, isn't it? We know who can heal, right? Take it to the Lord. Again, challenge this morning. Why do we turn to people, to ideas, to things that cannot heal us when God can? Do you believe he can? This is from Sandra McCracken. I really like her as an artist. I want to read this just briefly. I thought this is a good picture about seeking the Lord. She says, there's a call button above every seat on commercial airplanes. In all my travels, I don't think I've ever used it. I'm not sure if that is due to shyness or to pride, as there have certainly been times when I acutely needed help while seated. While traveling recently, for example, I endured some delays and I was really thirsty, yet I waited to ask for anything until the plane reached 10,000 feet when the flight attendants came row by row to grant our drink request. I did not press the call button. It always seems more courteous to wait. As Jesus hung on the cross, one of the last phrases he spoke out loud was, I am thirsty. This three-word inclusion in the Gospels is a subtle yet significant acknowledgement of Jesus' human need. His thirst dignifies our humanity. He offered up this holy complaint, a declaration of his physical need. He pushed the call button. God is the one who is responsible to supply our needs. Jesus invites us to participate, to receive, and to ask. Sometimes we are to ask and ask again. Jesus invites us to hit the call button, and he invites us to wait for him, sometimes well beyond when the plane has reached 10,000 feet. Ask and wait, hope and receive. The springs of living water that he gives never runs A lot of times we are too proud to hit the call button, right? It's okay, God, I got this. I have a great 401k. It's okay, God, I have such good insurance, I know it won't be an issue. Lord, I have some of the best doctors. My doctors are even in Carmel. That's how good they are. It'll be fine. I got it covered. Lord, I have a nice car, a great house. I maintained it really well. Good clothes, I'm good, God. It's okay. You can help other people. I'm fine. Hit the call button. Isn't that good? Some of you today need to hit the call button. You need to quit trusting in yourself, acknowledge the Lord, and reach out to him. Well, remember, we talked about God being a moth, but I wanted to finish this morning with this last picture Hosea gives us, and this is um, terrifying to me. God describes Hosea here as a what? You guys know C.S. Lewis, right? The Chronicles of Narnia. What do they say about the lion? He is not safe. 
I know how my wife thinks. She's like, oh, I'll go pet the lion, right? And I think sometimes as Christians, we think that way. Oh, God's a lion, but he's a nice lion. He's a little friendly lion. You just go up and you just pet him. God, it's a ferocious lion. What is this ferocious lion doing here in Hosea? See what he says? You guys, I'm not making this up. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. He says he will tear his people to pieces. What? God is tearing his people to pieces because they will not acknowledge him, because they have a spirit of prostitution, because they trust in their own pride and their own arrogance, and they have abandoned him. He will tear his people to pieces. And then what does it say? He'll go away. Lo Ruma, Lo Ami, remember those little kids' names? That's kind of clicking right now, isn't it, right? Yeah, these are not love. These are not the love people. These are not my people. My people would not uh, uh, abandon me. My people would not forget to acknowledge me. My people would not cheat on me with other gods. That would not be my people. And here the scripture says, Hosea says, he goes away. And I want to be real careful here because I always want people to know that if we humble ourselves, the Lord is ready and waiting. But if you don't, the Lord will give you over to yourself. Read Romans chapter 1. He will do it. He will go away. And that's what terrifies me. If I get caught up in my own securities and my own negotiations, my own way out, and I trust myself, I could get in a place where the Lord says, well, you get what you get. I'm going to go away. The lion here has torn his people to pieces. He will go away. He then says they will be carried off, which we know they will be carried off. They're taken literally by fish hooks to Assyria. We know from church history and from Israelite history, that is what happen. No one will rescue them. They've been reaching out to every nation, to every king, to find some alliance that will be their savior. And God says, no one will rescue them. That is their punishment. And then he says, he will return to his lair. He will not return to them. They must return to him. Hear the truth of Hosea today. They are neglecting, ignoring God. God says, as a lion, I'm going to tear them to pieces. I will go away and go to my lair. They will have to return to him. Now, here's what he does say at the very end, though. Did you catch that? I love Hosea because he always gives you a little bit of hope. He says, they will return. After what? After they have borne their guilt. They will return and i hate to even phrase it but i'm not it's not my words it's hosea's words he says misery is what will finally cause them to seek the lord again i don't know about you guys but i pray this way a lot of times lord draw me close to you but if you can do it without suffering i'd really like it because <laughs> i know how things work right it's like why can't i learn the lesson without the donkey having to talk to me you know what i'm saying why is it that I have to have something terrible in my life before I acknowledge God? Why can't I just end the good days with good meals and good friends and singing to the Lord and trying to live for Him? Why can't I acknowledge Him at that time? Why does the misery have to come to make me turn to Him? And the truth is, it doesn't. 
But for many of us, we cannot handle prosperity, can we? When the good times come, we forget the Lord. And the whole challenge here is not to forget to acknowledge Him. Do you and I need misery in order to humbly seek the Lord? Last illustration this morning. I hope it resonates with you like it did with me. It's from Ethan Magnus. He's talking about um, an illustration from another theologian by the name of Kierkegaard. You might have heard this before. It's really powerful. A crowded theater hosted a variety show. Various acts in it. Each act was more fantastic than the one prior. So it created louder and louder applause from the audience. Suddenly, a clown rushed onto the stage and he said, I apologize for this interruption, but I regret to inform you that our theater is on fire. You need to leave right away and in an orderly fashion. But the audience thought he was part of the act. So they laughed and they applauded. They thought he was very committed to the role. But the clown again implored them that they needed to leave right away or they would get seriously injured and maybe even die. And again, they greeted him with loud and thunderous applause. Alas, he could do no more. And so he left the building and the people were destroyed. And Kierkegaard concludes in this sobering way. Our age will go down in fiery destruction, not to the sound of mourning, but to applause and cheering. Let me give you your preacher's take on it. I'm afraid we are living in a time when the theater is on fire, but we are too busy being entertained. Tracking with that? You guys, let's be aware of the Lord at work. Let's be aware of the punishment that is from the Lord. Let's acknowledge him. Let's not continually be like the world seeking to be entertained. The lion is coming. He is not safe. Seek him before the misery. Let's stand this morning. It is easy to segment your life and to say, this is my church life, and this is my work life, and this is my play life, but it's all one life. And I beg you this morning, we all need to acknowledge God in all of our life. My challenge to you this morning is to humble yourself before the Lord and really invite him into your heart and say, Lord, am I acknowledging you with my finances? Am I acknowledging you with my time? Am I acknowledging you in my relationships and in my planning, in all of my planning, Lord? Am I acknowledging you? Let's just take a moment here again, and we'll have, like we've been doing the last couple of weeks, a moment of quiet. If you'd like to come to the altar at any time, please feel free to come. But would you invite the Lord in your heart this morning, have him examine your heart, and make sure that in all of your life, you are acknowledging him. And after that, in just a little bit, we'll have prayer, and then we'll sing a song of commitment together. All right? Let's bow our heads and invite the Lord into our hearts this morning.